everyone to Adjusted. I'm your host, Greg Hamlin, coming at you from beautiful Birmingham, Alabama, and Berkeley Industrial Comp. With me is my co-host for the day, Matt Yelling. Matt, you want to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. This is Matt Yaling. I'm coming from St. Louis, Missouri, along the banks of the big, muddy Mississippi River. Welcome. Glad to have you, Matt. Matt's with MEC, one of our fellow Berkeley companies. So if you've listened to a few of these before, you've heard us team up and do a few of these. And he offers an interesting perspective coming from an excess carrier. So it's always good to have a couple different viewpoints. With us for the day is our special guest, Chris Moore, who's managing partner at Insure National. Chris, do you want to introduce yourself for everybody? Yeah, my name's Chris Moore. I am based out of Dallas, Texas, so right in downtown, born and raised here, and I am one of the owners here at Insure National. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you, Chris. The topic we wanted to, to tackle today is why do some employees stay and what causes them to leave? And I think people in the industry right now have seen a lot of change in general. We've talked about it in some of the other episodes. I think the COVID caused a lot of people to reevaluate their priorities. So we've seen a lot of shifting going on in, in the industry and outside of it. But I thought we'd start by you just talking a little bit, Chris, about how did you end up in the insurance industry? Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually an interesting story. So I spent about seven years in IT staffing back in my early days. And at the time, my boss, the one that hired me, actually met the original owner of Insure National on a plane. And at the time we did IT, we did all contract and contract to hire staffing for different industries across the board. And uh, they had met on a plane and she was looking to grow her business. She was only doing direct hire. And she was like, I want to grow this and add a different division and do contract to contract to hire. Long story short, my boss is like, I know it. My old boss is like, I know a guy that might be able to help you out. We connected in Utah of all places. We met in the middle because I'm in Dallas and she's in California. (laughs) I met for honestly, probably a whole day and just kind of got to know each other, looked at the vision of what she was wanting to do. You know, honestly, I fell in love with her and kind of her just passion for the industry. She has an insurance background and yeah, I just kind of long story short, that's how I got in and started up our Dallas office in this new division about a year, year and four months ago now. So it feels like a month ago, but it's been a year, already a year. So it's been a fun ride, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into insurance. I guess I stumbled upon it. Yeah, I think that's how most of us most of us got here. What what was your just out of curiosity? What was your background in college? What did yeah, you study? So I played uh, basketball at Tulane University down in New Orleans, okay. and then, um, I got a degree in media arts. My whole goal was to start my own business. I didn't know what, but basically, I wanted to handle all the communications and marketing and digital stuff myself. Um, I minored in web design, so I wanted to kind of take my web design experience and create my own website and my own business. But yeah, I didn't. Uh, I guess I'm kind of running my own business, but I'm not doing any of the marketing or digital stuff. <laughs> it worked out. Um, and then I fell into sales. Basically, my whole career is how it ended up professionally. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my college background, I guess, if you will. That's awesome. What what position did you play in college? So I was a uh, shooting guard. Okay. So I always tell the story. I was at Tulane uh, two years before Hurricane Katrina for the insurance people, and two years after Hurricane Katrina. So wow, New Orleans was a. Uh, a night and day place after and before. So it, it was pretty quite, it was pretty crazy time, but you know, it was an experience. It's needless to say. <laughs> well, I, I went to Indiana university. So it was a big basketball oh, yeah. school and we're di- we could die for somebody who could shoot right now. We've yeah. had, uh, yeah. we've had some great, 
great teams, but we haven't had good shooting in probably six or eight years. So, which is rare for people from Indiana because I, feel I like know, that's right? <laughs> it, it drives people crazy in the state. Yeah. So, yeah. Were you uh, were you happy with the recent outcome, Chris? Um, well, I can, there's two ways I can go about this. My bracket was busted. So no, but <laughs> I grew up a massive Texas tech fan. So because Kansas is in the big 12, I was rooting for them. So I didn't really care who won, but they won. So I, I guess I was happy about it, but it was a great game to watch. So I was happy about just, it was a good game. Yeah, it definitely was a good game. I'm always rooting for the big 10 once we get to the tournament, yeah. but we we seem to be the conference. Everybody goes through to yeah. get to the championship, <laughs> but we can't figure out how to win it anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out. It'll get there. And Chris, for those listening to this podcast that don't know insure national, why don't you introduce the, what you do for them and what the organization does for the sure. insurance industry? Yeah. So insure national is basically a national staffing firm. Our sole focus is the insurance industry. So we partner with insurance organizations of all sizes all over the country. And basically what we do is we help them find talent for direct hire, contract, contract to hire, and insurance consulting. So I think one of the benefits that we like to explain to organizations is our whole network of people are from the insurance world already. But we're also trying to find folks, which I think is a big challenge, which we may get into later. But that aren't from the insurance world and get them into the insurance industry to help kind of fill a gap that we're seeing in that world. But uh, yeah, that's basically our sole focus and how we help those organizations and kind of just pitch that as a unique selling point, I guess, if you will, to these insurance companies. And do you guys do all lines then? Yes. Yeah. So okay. basically anything, if you're an insurance company, you have an in-house litigation team, you have an IT team, if you have marketing, sales, claims, underwriting. If, if you're an insurance company, our sole focus is kind of focusing in that space. That's fantastic. So now did you, I, I know you were mentioning you went to Dallas or, or that you're from Dallas and that you, so did you start the office that's in Dallas with yep. Insure? So what was that like? Yeah. So I've never, I've been in an organization where I was sent to another city to start up, I guess, the office, but I was more on the sales side. So I was going out and getting a business, but the operations, the finances, all that stuff, I didn't see what was going on behind the scenes. So this is kind of my first glimpse into all that type of stuff. I saw financials with that company and I, I kind of looked at them, but it's interesting because I know staffing I've been through a lot of situations and I've been doing it for a while. So I understand the business. But as you start diving into actually opening a business, putting money down of your own money to invest in it, um, to get it up and running, is it was a was fun. But now to see the growth of it, it's, it's actually pretty cool. But yeah, we had an office in California. Chelsea, the owner of International, started it in Florida. She moved out to California with her husband. So we have an office in basically Boca Raton, Florida kind of Dana Point area in California, and then now Dallas, Texas. So we can kind of cover essentially all regions, all time zones in the US. Uh, that's great. It seems like everybody's got an office in Florida in the insurance industry. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like if, if you don't, kind you're of left out. <laughs> What's the most rewarding part of running your own organization? You know, it's funny. We started this a year and it's literally December of 2020 is when we opened it. And then I made my first hire in March, just trying to get business. And so my first employee has been here literally a month, a little over a month now. And we now have seven in our office. So I think the rewarding part is seeing and the, my focus with a lot of people that we bring in or you know, younger professionals um, that have some professional experience, not necessarily in recruiting, it doesn't have to be, but I've been through the professional ranks, um, but also we hire some kids out of college as well. 
and training them and kind of coaching them and seeing the progression that they've done in the last year is kind of the most rewarding for me because I like seeing people grow very fast. Selfishly, it kind of makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing because they're doing the right thing and they pick up on things very quickly. But just watching the office grow, how fast it's grown, but also seeing our employees being rewarded for the hard work we put in because recruiting is not easy. It's a lot of time, a lot of effort, and um, you're dealing with a lot of people. And so just seeing their growth and seeing them happy and having fun, I've been in their shoes. So I took pieces I didn't like, and I took pieces that I did like, and I kind of molded that and kind of try to create a culture here that we're trying to build and make people want to be a part of, because I think that's the biggest thing in selling an organization as the culture. And do you like working with the people and all that good stuff? So yeah, just the growth of the employees so far to date is kind of the most rewarding thing right now. That's great. So I know in your industry, you're talking about recruiting and the, and the challenges of that. We're in the middle of what's being dubbed the great resignation. And so that's being talked about a lot because there's just people changing jobs, even companies with good cultures, especially yeah. ones that don't have good cultures are seeing it, but everybody's having to deal with it a little bit as one whole generation retires. And uh, then we've had a lot, just a lot of changes in your opinion, how do we get here? How do we get to a place where all at once we're seeing so much movement? Yeah, there's a there's a big shift. Obviously, the pandemic, COVID is what did it. I think three years ago, I think we can all agree, unless you were leadership and you had leaders in different regions of the U.S., Zoom wasn't really a thing. Teams wasn't really a thing. It was in person. You're in an office. And I think what happened, the pandemic forced everybody, you know, companies, whether they were ready or not, to send everybody home to work remote. There were challenges around IT. If you weren't a really good IT company and could do things virtually, there was a lot of setup and headaches with that. But I think it also on the flip side, employees, because they were getting to work from home, which I don't think was a thing really a couple of years ago as well. Some companies had hybrid models, but the organizations, the bigger ones that we've seen today really were in office Monday through Friday, eight to five. And once those employees started getting to work from home, they started seeing how much flexibility they had working from home. And I think it was it was something where there's a big shift in that year or two years that we've had in COVID. And basically, employees are realizing kind of they, I don't want to say they have the power, that's probably not the right word, but the cards are kind of in their hands and they're saying, okay, yeah. what organizations are going to fit like my criteria, you know, whether it's work from home or a hybrid schedule or better pay, is it better benefits? I don't know what that looks like. And I think it's funny if, if, if employers had the answer, we wouldn't be having this issue, but I don't think they do. <laughs> That's the gold question, I guess. If you can figure out, you know, what these employees want in a job, you can start trying to retain some of these folks and keep them around, um, but also employ them and make sure they stick. But uh, it's funny because my previous jobs with Qualtrics and they're all customer experience and employees experience surveys. So I learned a lot from that industry, just in how important it is for the employee to have a great experience working for an organization, whether it's remote, you go through a pandemic, are they going to stick around because you know they like their manager, they're not burnt out. All that type of stuff plays into, into the whole scheme of, is this person going to stick around? Are they going to leave us and go somewhere else? But it's an interesting conversation just because I think it's been a big shift and who's in control basically. And right now, I think mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, employees are in control and they can determine, you know, like I said, what their, what their requirements are and where they want to go work. And if a company doesn't match it, they have other jobs they can go look for. But yeah, it's the, it's the question that I don't think anybody has the answer to right now. And I wish I did because I'd probably be able to hire a lot of people. <laughs> if, you, if you could tell the C-suite of an, an insurance organization, anything to help retain talent, what, what would be your top three items you would tell an organization to, for talent retention? 
Yeah, great question. So we've talked to a lot of candidates and I'm going to call them candidates, mostly employees, but you know, we talked to a lot of people for opportunities. And I think the three biggest things they're looking for are flexibility. So whether that's a hybrid model, you know, if they're in office or work from home 100%. Secondly, it's going to be a lot of sign-on bonuses or some type of bonuses throughout their career that they're paid out on. And then also just the experience as a whole. So you know, working, I think that's a challenging part is working virtually. You're not going to have that social interaction, that face-to-face. It's all going to be virtual. But how is that person feeling important within the organization? How are they contributing and seeing their contributions go to work instead of just being like, you sit in that desk, you do your job eight to five, and then you go home and you may get rewarded a little bit. But that kind of goes to, hey, the, the cards in the hand have changed a little bit. And I, I would say those are probably the top three things that we're hearing from employees that they want in a new opportunity. And I think organizations are having to adjust to that a little bit and coming up with creative ways to kind of keep those people engaged or, or hire them and put those in offer letters and things of that nature. I think you hit on some really important things there. And I can think of my own journey to be where I am now. And when I started my career, you know, one of the places I worked, I often felt like my employee number. I had to log in every day N0140409. And I felt like that's pretty much what I was to the company was that number. And as long as my work product was getting pumped out, life was good. And I was as mobile as a laptop or a monitor there wasn't really much thought of the fact that I was a human being that had a family and had desires of my own and had ideas that could help them. Yep. You know, the, there wasn't really interest in that. And so, yep. you know, I think that's a challenge. It is. And, and going back to my younger, my first job and just being an athlete, I, I always had the mindset that someone could take your job. And I think nowadays it's flipped where it's like, now the company is like, we need people. And they're going to find the right person. And don't get me wrong, someone can always take your job no matter what right. position you're in. But I think that mindset now is like, oh, if I don't perform, someone's going to take my job. It alleviates some of the stress. And then I honestly, I think it's going to help people perform better. You know, if they're going to get a job they like, obviously they're going to perform. But if they're burnt out and they're not happy and uh, they're mistreated by their manager, they're going to they're going to leave ship really quickly. I absolutely agree with everything you said there. I think there's a lot that we can do better to make sure people feel like they're part of the team and we've got some work to do. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm a, I'm in zero eleven eight nine. Greg, that was my number. Uh, <laughs> we both have scars. Uh, yeah. No, uh, you know, we, we talked about this last year with one of Greg's employees about, you know, in the claims industry, Greg and I both work in claims, obviously, for an insurance carrier. So uh, kind of shifting the, the discussion to claims, you know, that there's a customer service focus that we are adapting more regularly now. So how do we find staff for those positions? And how do you guys help us find staff for those positions? Yeah. So it's funny, I've actually, there's some interesting concepts I've heard talking to, you know, different claims leaders, it could be workers comp, it could be PNC, whatever it may look like. And they're looking at different ways to do service type of roles, because there are certain, there obviously is a service type of role in claims. And a lot of them look at like social workers or previous Mm -hmm. customer experience professionals that aren't from the insurance world, and then bringing them in and helping them get them licensed and all that good stuff to kind of move them into the insurance world. Typically, if you're a CSR, customer service rep, or social worker, probably could get them a little more money if we can get them licensed. And it was an interesting concept that I had with a few conversations with some companies that we're looking to try to help them with because they came to us and said, hey, we typically just hire a customer service rep or a claims adjuster who has service experience, but 
we're trying to figure out a way to bring in younger professionals into the industry to kind of help have them mold them into our way and how we want them to fit into our organization and our culture, but then only someone that's going to stick around for a while. And I think one of the things that they had brought up um, to us, which I thought was pretty interesting, is looking at it from a, a social worker standpoint, who's always having conversations with people. They're always handling some different types of situations and can always think on their feet, but also just a customer service rep that you know may work at American Airlines or something like that that may want to switch careers and go into this world where they'll train them up on everything, you know, get them licensed and really help them kind of bring in a diverse group of people and help them train them in the claims world. But on the flip side, as an employer, you have to be able to take the time and understand it's going to take time to get people ramped up. Yeah. But you have to put that time in to make sure that someone is going to work out and stick around. Because if you just bring them in and throw them into the fire, you know, people are going to get burnt out if they have a good work ethic and they're going to go somewhere else. And you literally just train them to go and pay them to go be a great <laughs> claim adjuster to another company. And uh, right. so it was an interesting concept that I'd never thought of, but uh, just trying to think of ways to bring people from different organizations or different industries into the claims world and help like be a claims adjuster and start helping these organizations with different talent. I've seen that play out in our company quite a bit where we've had some really great success with bringing people in. We we hired a flight attendant at one point. Yeah. She was amazing. We've hired a customer service person from, you know, a grocery store that was really known for their white glove, you know, yep. care of their... And, and so I think those skills are transferable and you're hitting on something that's important because we're facing the other buzzword is the silver tsunami. All the baby yeah. boomers are retiring. And yep. there's not enough people to fill those spots if we yep. don't get creative. And I've seen the challenge, and I don't know if you have, Matt, where sometimes if we put a lot of time and energy, take a model where we're only looking at recent college grads, we can end up putting a lot of time and effort into people that constantly leave. And yeah. you know, after three to five years, they're ready for the next thing, or they're not sure that this is what they wanted to do. But by the time you've invested a year of your time to train them, you know, it's like now you'd be starting all the way back over. They were just getting sure. to the point they were helpful. So I think you you do need to look a lot of different ways and have a nice pulpery, like a, a group of different skill sets from different places. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Chelsea, she started Insure National because, as you mentioned, she saw kind of a gap in that that world where the talent gap is what we call it on our side is you have the folks who are retiring. 30% of the workforce is going to be retiring. Pandemic actually pushed people out sooner. It did. Because they're like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and retire. You know, I, there's no, I don't know what the future holds. And so that was, uh, that number probably increased a little bit. But then you have some of those, you know, the, the middle generation that are now getting promoted into new roles. But what is that younger generation coming in? And I've been in several industries previously before this. I was at Uber where we did trucking for the Uber and like Uber for trucking and the trucking shortage drivers. It's, there's a gap. The younger talent does not want to go be a trucker. The younger talent right. isn't just falling into the insurance world because it's sexy. It's insurance isn't no, sexy. So it's not. they look at it as I want technology, I want cool gadgets, and I want all this. And you know, I think they're trying to get there with insure techs and you know, evolving and some of the technology to make it kind of cool. Some of the marketing with the bigger like state farms and bring in name people that you may recognize on TV and it connects with that brand. But yeah, it's a challenge to bring in younger people that understand that we want to invest in this person, but also are they going to be around for 10 years? Are they going to, they're going to leave on us after a year or two? And we just spent all that time, as you mentioned, training them. And now they're going to, they're a great employee at another company. (laughs) We just lost all this money. So I think that's the, it's a challenge and it's not easy. And like I said earlier on, if if I had the answer, I'd probably making a lot more money and uh, providing a lot of advice and consulting to companies, but I don't, unfortunately. So what do you, what's your opinion on, I mean, we talked about the, the great resignation and silver tsunami, but 
you know, for those, those young people that, you know, we are bringing in, why did they leave so quickly? You know, what can we do as an organization and what can other organizations do to retain them? Yeah, I, you know, I know you said you, but what, what have you seen successfully happen, you know, maybe, and then counter that, like, what, what generally keeps people to, to leave? What keeps them staying, you know, in your, in your opinion and what you've experienced? Yeah. So I think a few things. So on our end, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, we do a lot of the contract contract to hire for the insurance world. So when we employ people and place them on a project, they're employed by Insure National. So they're actually our employee. We're taking on all the risk and everything of that nature by putting this person on a project. But my job is to keep that person retained for our customer. And you know, it's not as easy to keep a contractor if they're going to go to a full-time job. And so it's actually a little harder to keep those people interested. So just staying engaged with them and honestly communicating with them not to the point where you're annoying, like a used car salesman, but also not, <laughs> not enough. So you're going to want to make sure that you're keeping in touch with them and giving them updates and feedback from how their performance is doing, how things are working out there, but also engaging them in terms of, hey, if you're doing well, let's let's talk about uh, some type of raise or a bonus or some sort of that nature to make sure that their efforts that they're putting in are being noticed. I think the biggest thing, working from home, you can feel like you're on an island and a lot mm-hmm. of our jobs are remote. And when you're on an island, You don't know if you're doing great. You don't know if you're doing bad. And a lot of times you can get a surprise phone call that you weren't expecting and it doesn't work out. But also on the flip side, you can get a surprise call and say, hey, I took another opportunity. And all you have to do is look yourself in the mirror, like what could we have done better? So to your point, you know, making sure that the employee is happy, making sure you're doing performance reviews with them, making sure you're understanding how you can help them proceed in their career. Because I think a lot of it is burnt out. I think a lot of people just maybe aren't happy, but sometimes it is just money. And I don't want to say it's always about money, but if another chunk of job comes crawling or you know knocking at the door and it's offering you a lot more money, anybody in their right minds are going to consider that. However, if they're happy in their current job, they like their management, they like the team, they like their work that's being noticed, you know, they're being, you know, I guess rewarded for their hard work, it's going to make it a lot harder for that person to leave. They'll second guess leaving versus just being like, okay, I'm out of here. If I'm just a number to your guys' points, uh, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere where I feel valued. And any interview, someone's going to make you feel valid, valued. They're going to be like, oh, you're amazing. We want you here. They're going to try to sell you. So when you, you're, you're really looking for that type of you know, feedback, if a recruiter calls you and gives you that feedback, you're going you're gonna to kind of steer toward that if you're not getting it from your current employee. Kind of like dating, I guess, if you will. <laughs> no, I, I think you're making a great point. And it reminds me when I, when I, about 10 years ago, I was working for a company that went through a reorg and my team was assigned in Boston, Massachusetts. So, and I was in Cincinnati at the time. So I had to manage them remotely before managing people remotely was a thing. Yeah. You know, so I had read a book on it. I was trying to figure out like how to do this because it was all new. And one of the things I learned early on, and I think it's easy to forget, we really should do it all the time, was to just build in time. Like I would schedule time with my people every week, yeah. even if it was just to check in and talk, make the water cooler talk that isn't yep. happening naturally. Make sure it's happening because yeah. if you don't do those little things, two things happen. You don't build those relationships, but the other thing, and people don't feel wanted or part of the team, but I think that other piece you hit on is so important, feedback. Like there has yeah. to be a regular channel. If the only time I hear from my boss is when I'm in trouble, then yeah. that's not good. But if yeah. we're talking every week and there's already something set up or every two weeks, there's already something set up, then when there is some kind of difficult conversation, there's already a channel for that. Yeah. And we're talking all the time anyway, and I'm getting positive feedback also. Yeah. The wall is kind of broken down when you have a lot of conversation communication with your employees. And when you don't, it, you're not going to get that conversation. And I think when you build a relationship where it's easier for them to come to you and say, hey, I got a call about this interview. 
I had an interview with the company, I'm really considering it. Like, I mean, it's almost like what I, I wanted to bring this to your attention because I like it here. But is there instead of just being like, hey, peace, I'm out. It's like, hey, yeah, right. do? and at that point, you can go save it and say, oh, hey, guys, we have this employee that's amazing. She has an offer on the table. She informed me because I have a relationship with my employee. We need to keep her or him. What can we do to do this? And you know, from that standpoint, it's like, what do you need to stay here from us? And we can, I can't guarantee, but let's go try to make this happen. And gives you some time to save that employee versus the other way where you don't communicate with them, you don't have a relationship, and that's when they jump ship and go somewhere else. So I, I think that's a great point. And just having that communication and open dialogue with your employees is big, especially in a virtual environment. Yeah. I had a similar example where uh, I had a, an employee and she was she was a great employee, was with us for a little over a year. And uh, she she herself had a young family and, you know, one had had come from a large carrier and wanted to work remote where she had been doing with the prior carrier. And at the time, this was pre-COVID, we, we did not allow remote work. And, you know, she left. And after she left, I heard, you know, through the grapevine that all she was asking for was one day of remote work. And I said, you know, if, if I would have known that, we would have made that happen. But the communication, you know, didn't, didn't make its way through the appropriate channels until you know she had already made the decision and accepted another offer. So, I mean, I agree with what Greg and what what you were saying, Chris, as well. Like, you know, communication is key. So many of our problems you know, boil down, I feel like, to communication between the parties when we talk about workers' comp claims or when we're talking about employee relationship issues and things. So, I mean, I would encourage, you know, if you're an employee out there too, like have that conversation with your supervisor because as, as managers, you know, we get into these all these situations where we're texting or we're and emailing our employees and they're like, did you really touch base with them? Did right. you have that? you know, one-on-one conversation with your employee this week or today, or when was the last time you actually talked to them? And it's like, well, I'll go message them now. I'm like, yeah. I just kind of roll my eyes and like laugh a little bit. I'm like, no, like you need to call yeah. you know, them and have a conversation. And it doesn't always have to be about work. Like you were saying, Greg, like have a conversation about their life or what's going on in their situation. Uh, during COVID, I made it a point to call everyone in my department. You know, I tried to do it monthly, but when you have, you know, 45 people, it was you know, like, okay, well, I'm spending anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes on each call. So, uh, you know, but I was pretty good about every six weeks or every eight weeks, I, I funneled through the list and I had a checklist of like who I had called and I put a date next to it of like when I last spoke to him and, and had that kind of uh, conversation, more more of the connect conversation than the, hey, what's this month's results look like or how many claims are we settling or closing? Uh, then you know, that was a, another conversation. So but I think that communication breakdown, you know, continues to exist. We need to be better about that industry-wide talking with our staff. Yeah. I don't want to say people are lazy, but I think the virtual stuff has caused some laziness and to that point, just emailing, oh yeah, touch base with them. Where if you're in an office, it's like, hey, go talk to Chris or go talk to Matt. And you have and then you would go do it versus just being like, how things going? And it's like it's not a touch point really. It's 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 less personal. And that's when people just feel like they're on an island. And it's already hard as it is virtually to do stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a great point. We talked a lot about what what causes people to stay and what are some things we can do to keep them. And I think you've kind of talked about this some, Chris, but just to, to make sure we've covered it, what are some of the things that you feel like when you've seen people leave, because obviously, you know, you're trying to get people placed different places, when you see people leave or you have a company that you're working with that's had problems with people leaving, what are, what are some of the things that drive that? Yeah. So I think one of the big things I'm seeing right now is obviously after the pandemic or during the pandemic, I should say, a lot of, there's tons of layoffs, tons of furloughs, tons of people leaving. Yeah. Yep. And what happened was now things are la- relaxing a little bit and people are now companies are trying to employ. And so they're trying to employ either people back that they let go 
or they're trying to find new talent to fill seats. And so what's happening is just because they had a pandemic, projects didn't necessarily stop. They may have got delayed, but now they have delivery dates. And so what's happening is they're bringing these people in and they're not hiring enough people. So more work is getting put on the people that they're bringing in that are fresh hires. And literally six months in, they're burnt burnt out. out. There's not enough help here. I'm going to go to another company that may be a little smaller who the workload may not be there. And even on top of that, if you're making the person go into work, because there are some companies we partner with, like they have to be in office, hybrid models are even sometimes hard. So when you're putting that much work on somebody to the point, it, it causes them to burn out very, very fast. So, you know, making sure that you have enough employees to, you know, spread out the workload so that they're not getting burnt out because they will leave very fast. Secondly, the thing that always comes up is always pay. If another company comes to pay you more, they're going to consider that especially with the uncertainty of the pandemic. You never know. It could always happen again. Who knows what could happen at this point? And so you know, they're going to take another higher paying opportunity just because it's still some uncertainty. But also they probably were let go and were, didn't have a job for a year. So if someone's going to come calling, they need a job to pay bills. But if someone's going to pay them more money, they're really going to consider that opportunity. And then lastly, kind of touched on it, the work from home. Obviously, if you break it down, work from home is number one, Monday through Friday. Then you kind of go to the hybrid model. If they have a hybrid model, someone would consider it. If it's flexible to their schedule and not like you have to be here Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But if you're like, if you, if you come into the office two days a week, we don't care what days they are, just be in the office and you don't have to be there all day. As much flexibility as you can provide that, that employee, the better. So I would say those are the three things that I'm hearing. You know, everybody has their reasons and everybody's probably heard everything, but that's kind of what I'm hearing on my end. You just from the industry as a whole, why people would leave, you know, from an opportunity. When a company works with you guys and you have a, uh, you know, an empl- you're basically taking on the employment responsibility, you know, how are you guys getting them up and trained and not overwhelming them? Yeah, how do you, you know, how do you guys work your that own problem that you just said, yeah. you know, is a problem for for new hires? Yeah, good question. So obviously, a lot of the onboarding still falls on, or not the onboarding. The onboarding is all on us. The training and all that falls on whatever customer we place that candidate at. Okay. Or at However, you know, obviously, we do all of our port. I make my recruiters touch base with them. We have kind of a acronym that we utilize internally. That basically, the first thing you do in the morning is if you have an employee working on a customer or one of our projects, you're touching base with them. I wouldn't say it's every day maybe two times a week, just see how things are going. Any questions? How's the work been? We want to get a pulse on how things are going. And there's certain ways we approach that. So going back to my point, you don't sound like a used car smells them and you're getting annoying because again, these people are working and they have a job now and they have projects that they're working on. The last thing they want to do is have a conversation with a recruiter that doesn't make sense. But we have ways we approach those conversations to make sure things are going well. On top of that, we actually have an account. We have a ton of people at right now. And going back to my point where the workload is just being poured over top of them and people are putting in a ton of hours, you know, it's stressful. So we basically rolled out a bonus plan to them. So any hours that they work over 40 hours a week, they will be incentivized an additional amount of money. And it's not necessarily overtime, but you know, because they don't really qualify for the overtime piece based on how much they make. But we're just taking money out of our pocket to roll it out to help our customer because one, I believe they deserve it. But we got to come up with creative ways internally on how we engage and retain our, our employees for our customers because they're relying on that person to do the job. And you know, don't get me wrong, we still get calls, surprise calls all the time. No matter how many times we touch base with somebody, no matter how much money we pay them, that they're leaving for another opportunity. So that's the nature of the beast. And it's always been that way in the 10 years I've been doing this. It's just how can you yeah. kind of save, you know. That law of thirds, kind of that, that little piece of the pie that you know they're on the fence. How can you save those people and make sure they're happy? And whether that's money or hybrid model or figuring out to your point, 
Do you just need a day of a week? Let me go to my customers, see if they're flexible with that. In today's world, they probably are. So yeah. it's, it's a little bigger conversation than what it was three years ago. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's some of the things that we do just on our end from a creative standpoint or try to. And I think what's hard from a claims perspective, and Matt, you've probably seen this too, is I don't know that people who aren't in the industry really understand that it's a conveyor belt that's running all the time. You know, like it runs, whether there are, you're fully staffed or not, the claims are getting reported and they need to be handled. They need to be investigated. Bills need to be paid. And so it's kind of sometimes like that Lucille Ball chocolate factory thing where you've got, you know, it just keeps coming. And so I think one of the challenges that I've seen on our end is just making sure that we're prepared for the fact that if somebody resigns tomorrow, what are we, what's our plan that we're going to have in place so that the rest of the team isn't getting overloaded? Because especially if you're talking about bringing somebody in without experience or somebody from another industry, it may take them three months to a year before they're actually really adding help because they got to get licensed, that they got to learn the industry, they got to learn the systems. So there's a lot of challenges involved in that. Matt, is there anything you'd want to add to that? I think you hit on it. I I do have one question, just final final uh, question for me, and I know you have a, a final question too, Greg. But you know, we see these industries and in, in claims. I don't see it as often. I do occasionally when I get out and and audit where there's the foosball table and popcorn machine, and they bring in donuts and they have the basketball court. And yeah. I know you're Chris, you're a basketball player, and is that helpful for staff retention? How much of it is the you know the atmosphere or like? And maybe COVID blew this all up because people don't want to be in the, the, the building as much anymore. But how much is it the environment that contributes to, you know, the feel and look? And yeah. Yeah. So in my early days, I loved it. I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, that's one of the reasons why I left my IT staffing job for a software job because the company I went to, Qualtrics, had an amazing, it was the coolest office I've ever seen, coolest environment. They had drinks, snack, food. All that. And I never had that. I was like, oh, this is an experience I've never had before. What I'm seeing today is the younger generation, they don't care about that stuff. Uh, I think the pandemic blew it up. They want flexibility. They want remote work where they can run to the grocery store whenever they need yeah. to and still put in their hours. The younger generation works later into the night versus having to get up earlier. So it's kind of like, hey, as long as you're getting your work done you know, and you're not putting me in a box where I have to be somewhere eight to five, which it is a professional world. And that's what I was raised on is, you know, kind of that military, you know, structure type of thing. And that's what I'm known for. But I think these, this younger generation coming in is like, I want flexibility. I want to be able to work from home. I don't want someone just micromanaging me, I guess, if you will, but also someone who's going to provide me leadership and get me to the next level in my career. And so, yeah, it's, uh, I think the, the office environment kind of blew up a little bit. However, if you do have people coming out of the office, no one's going to want to go sit in a cubicle. It's not going to yeah. work. You're, it's going to be awkward. You've got to have some type of space that's, in, I guess, inviting. But you know, our office we do the snacks and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't do it because I think it's going to re- like attract people to our company more and less. Probably for me, so I can drink Dr. Pepper's all day and eat some candy. But <laughs> my employees like it too, and it goes really sure. fast. So as long as it's going fast, I know they like it. But I don't think that's the thing that's going to keep them here. To be honest with you, so but it like yeah, you're going to have to have some people coming to the office. You got to have some type of cool environment and. If you're going to do a hybrid model, have other people in the office with that person because you don't want people coming in on a Thursday and they're the only person there on their floor. And then it's like, why, why am I here? <laughs> so make sure they have some social interaction as well. That's yeah. great. Great insight. I think that's the number one takeaway is, you know, we need to look at that and make sure we're being mindful of that. And of course, pay is always an issue. Yeah. 
Well, I took away we need a basketball court. That's what I took away. Office. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Chris, as we wrap things up, one of the things I'm doing this season is there's just a I feel like in general the last three years have been hard for everybody in different ways. And it's hard not to turn on the TV and hear some pretty negative stuff, whether it's you know wars that are going on or yeah. COVID disease. One of the things I wanted to focus on this year is some of the good things that are going on, because I really believe they're out there. We just had our sixth kid and I wouldn't have done that. It was intentional, crazy, but intentional <laughs> because uh, I really do believe that this world is worth worth being in. So yeah. Chris, if you could, I'd love it if you could share a memory of a time that you were truly happy and what were you doing and who were you with? Yeah. So it was probably my honeymoon, to be honest with you. I was with my wife. I'm a huge, I love the beach. I'm not a cold weather guy being in Texas. Okay. Oh, and ice and the mountains. And that's not me. I love the heat and the beach and the ocean. So, you know, my wife and I went on our honeymoon. It got, it gave me time to get away from everything. I'm usually always on, even even on other vacations. I'm always having my computer. She gives me a hard time. I'm at the beach and I have my computer open and I'm answering emails. And to me, that's still relaxing. I'm not in an office, but to her, (laughs) her to spend time together, get off of your computer. But at that time, that week we had together, I literally turned it off and that's that's hard for me. But I got to spend time with her. It was super relaxing. You know, I came back to a crap show, but you know, <laughs> it's always that but, way, right? Yeah, it is. And that's why I usually try to work. But honestly, just getting away, turning off for a while I was with my wife. You know, we had probably the best trip we've ever had. And it was just fun in general. And it got away from, you know, even then it was there was a lot of stuff going on in the world and you know, we just got away and had a good time. And we try to mimic that. But as we've gotten older, it just isn't the same. And so that that always sure. sticks in my mind. Every trip we go on, I try to, that's the bar. And we just haven't been able to surpass that yet. And I always bring that up when I talk to people about, you know, what's your favorite trip or this isn't kind of a time where you were happy in your life. Yep. Again, we were honeymooners and just married. So it was even better. But yeah, it was just a good time all around. And that's a, a vivid memory that sticks in my head. That's awesome. Be where your feet are. That's what we would say. I have some yep. friends and that's what we push each other. So if you're at work, be where your feet are. If you're at home, be where your feet are. If you're on the beach, you know, be where your feet are. So I like that. You, know, you have to manage that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure someone much brighter than me said it. I, I just feel <laughs> the quote. <I> don't <laughs> hey, Matt, I'm going to keep that one. I think I don't think we could end it any better. So yeah. I think that's a good message to wrap things up with is remember to be where your feet are. And Chris, appreciate you joining us. We had a great conversation today. Just remind people, again, they want to follow us on the blog. It releases on the off weeks and would remind you uh, to do right, think differently, and don't forget to care. That's it, guys. Hope you join us next time.